Hey everybody, welcome to the Down the Rabbit Hole podcast. It's your boy Rob the MC. And I got a special guest, one of my closest political buddies. We talk and send dank memes at all points during the day. And so guys, welcome in the venerable Anthony. Fantastic. What's going on, man? Not much, man. Taking it day by day. How about yourself? Same here, bro. It's it is the most fascinating time in human history to be in a quarter life crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be turning thirty this yeah. year. I just turned thirty, and it's like, man, what a weird time in human history. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm turning thirty in uh, January. It's just a, a very strange. Not only this year, but the last couple of decades actually when you really consider things in a, in a global perspective it's just been a very weird time yeah what are some things on a global perspective that's been weird for you because i'm i'm thinking of more in a you know domestic area um but but what are some things you mean by that well i just mean that you know by by our current age we've been old enough to see the world change after you know 9-11 we've seen two major uh economic depression, recessions, you know, in that time, we've seen, uh, you know, the longest war we've been in, and, you know, we've seen the, the rise of the first black president. We've also seen the rise of basically a quasi-fascist, you know, president as a reaction to that. It's just been a very weird time to be a young adult. Yeah. And then on top of all this, we have this pandemic, and it's, it's a lot. Oh yeah, and civil rights 2.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Um, wow, Anthony. Every, that's why I knew when I was gonna ha- when having you on this podcast, dude. You're gonna we're gonna have a good conversation because you're just expanding yeah, out. On, yeah, we. I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And folks, just a little bit of behind the curtain. Um, how did we meet, bro? I know we met in in the great charm city where I'm from, and you're New Yorker. Um, but how did we meet, bro? I don't even remember, honestly, like the specifics. I really don't. <laughs> I don't. Honestly, I I suspect we met at an art show. Mm-hmm. I think we went to an art gallery and I'm not sure which one, but I know that after the show, some people went to like a nearby restaurant and you were there and we we're at the same table and that's where we met. Okay. Okay, cool. But even then it was still... Like, we were now in the same circles, but we still weren't talking much. I didn't really see you much. Mm-hmm. And then a couple, you know, after, you know, a little while, I moved to Florida, and then I moved back. So we only really started talking seriously the last, what, year and a half? A year? Year and a half? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I remember that, because you, you did move away, and you came back, and I was like, oh, man, he's back. 
<clears throat> and I always thought you were pretty cool and you just had a cool laid back spirit. And I said, man, let me find yeah. out about who this dude is, man. He's, and uh, lo and behold, you know, um, you had that, it's that Northeast smooth you got. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just like, man, just hanging out with you. I could tell that you had a perspective and a worldview and, and a, a 360 point of view that was really cool. And I value that in friends. I think, um, especially as you get older, you appreciate people that ha don't, aren't just a singular point of view and aren't just very narrow minded and that can see both sides of an argument or just can understand um, nuance. And, um, and that's what I, you know, just hanging out and just kind of seeing you from afar. I said, this dude is, is really cool. And I remember we went and got tacos once and, um, mm -hmm. and we went and hung out in this really cool area in Baltimore. And, and for people who don't know about Baltimore, some really cool, um, progressive restaurants and just the, the Hamden area and just cool, you know, just late twenties, sure. early thirties shit, you know, <laughs> insert, um, sitcom there. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and we just always had really cool, um, banner, especially about philosophy. Cause I know that's something that you really, you've studied as well at one of the world-class yeah. universities. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I studied at Hopkins, Johns Hopkins here in Baltimore. Yeah. And you, and you studied philosophy, am I correct? Yeah, I study philosophy. Wow. Yeah, not only, first of all, <clears throat> uh, a very liberal thing to go to school for is philosophy. And then number two, going to literally one of the top schools in the, in, in the United States of America, period, for that specifically. How did that shape your point of view? And we're going to get back, guys. We're going to get back into what's going on in the world and talking about all the different things um, that's going on politically and just, you know, just socially. But um, how did that shape your point of view? Because you're not from Maryland. Um, how did that shape your point of view coming from where you came from to going to Johns Hopkins University and studying philosophy? Well, it's funny because when I first uh, went to Hopkins, I, I had no intention of studying philosophy. I started off pre-med, which is true for a lot of people that go there. Um, so I actually started off as a neuroscience major. And uh, over time, you know, my first year and a half there, I just realized that almost everything I was doing in my free time was just studying philosophy or talking about philosophy or watching debates on philosophy. Like just everything I was interested in as a person outside of what I was studying had a philosophical character to it. Even me being interested in neuroscience, I just, I was interested in like philosophy of mind and, you know, psychology or cognitive psychology. Like it, my brain was just always turned on to that. So, um, I realized that, I, you know, why not just do it full time, so to speak, and I just became a philosophy major. Uh, once I got into the job market, I questioned that decision, but that's besides the point. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think it's just, uh, it's always been fundamentally part of who I am, even since high school. Really? And I think, yeah, yeah, you know, in high school, I actually, um, you know, it's not like you study that in, in school, but I, I just, those in the early days of YouTube, I used to, I don't know how many people were doing this. I was one of those weird nerds that was watching literally, you know, theology debates on YouTube. I don't know who was out there uploading that kind of stuff in 2008, <laughs> 2007. Uh, I guess they knew there was other people like us out there, but yeah, so I've, I've always just been a kind of a, just a weirdo in that way. But obviously as you get older, you, you start to realize that a, a lot of this kind of thinking or, or, learning how to think um, becomes very critically important. And, you know, when I was younger, it may have been something I was kind of just interested in because, you know, it just sounds like an abstract topic to talk about. But when you get older, you realize just being able to 
understand and break down the world around you is a life skill that's oddly not taught in so many ways. And especially in the realm of politics, um, you know, at first I was more interested in you know, metaphysics and philosophy of religion and, you know, things like that and um, ethics and all that. You know, it's obviously as an adult, you start to realize politics kind of shapes everything around you and realizing how much people don't think thoroughly about their politics uh, and in a similar way with religion, people kind of just inherit their views. And it's, uh, it's been something that after graduating, I've just become more and more interested in political philosophy than, than anything else. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Give me one second, bro. Mm-hmm. Like iPhone always wants to be charged at the wrong time. Excellent. I feel whole now. <laughs> but, um, getting into getting back into that and appreciate you the the really pregnant pause. It was like third trimester pregnant pause. But um, yeah, man. You see, that's why I like you, man. You got goddamn layers. I'm gonna call you Onion Man because you the Onion Man, the Onion, the onion Man can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to delve so deep into this, man, because um, I same thing, bro. Actually, um, a lot of my audience knows I was raised in a very strict religious household as well. And um, and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm really into philosophy, not as uh, uh, as deep as you are in terms of like from an educational point of view, but just on a self-taught point of view and learning and, and, and just yeah. points of views, worldviews. And um, like you said on YouTube, um, one of my favorite, and you talked about how you look up these these debates, um, theology debates. I used to love the John Ackneberg show. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's and, exactly what I was talking about, actually. Really, Walter Martin is my favorite dude. Yeah, even though he's full of shit, um, <laughs> he but he, he pas- yeah he passionately debates. Um, one of my favorite episodes was he was doing the there was a because I'm a you know I'm, a, I'm formerly a Jehovah's Witness myself um, mm-hmm. was the Seventh Day of Venice he had on he had the um, he had the um, Baha'i faith on he had these mm-hmm. uh, he had also the LDS on. Um, and it's just those many different debates and how passionate and apologetics and how Dr. Walter Martin would break it down and, and from his, you know, his uh, theology and the way he thought his worldview right. was and um, from, you know, Orthodox Christianity. And I found that so and I literally would go and watch John Ackneberg um, debates for about two or three hours and just yeah. be like, and what were some of your favorite debates on John Ackneberg show? I just think it's funny that you're mentioning that because that, that's literally what I was watching in high school. And, <laughs> I mean, and who, who would even know about that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like shows from way back in the day, we weren't even alive or Period. conceived yet. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I grew up Catholic. So I, you know, I was watching a lot of the debates between, uh, yeah, um, the, the Orthodox Protestant theologian and Catholic philosophy or theology. And, um, is that the, and, and the, the Muslim versus the Christian theological oh, yeah. debates were, were always fascinating. And the reason I love those the most is because one, because I was raised Catholic, I was actually hearing intellectual critiques of my own religious views from another Christian. Right. And it was just interesting to hear the, the level of nuance that different groups were interpreting the same words. You know, I mean, 
when you have a debate that the, almost the entire premise is based on interpreting one word in Greek, mm-hmm. I mean, and it, you know, results in these very different, you know, institutions, as, you know, whether you have a, a papacy or you don't, you know, it's wild, you know, and that was the level of nuance these debates were taking place on. And, you know, with the Muslim versus Christian debates, it was like, wow, here's another religious group that, you know, is often demonized in the media, especially after 9-11. And you hear this very articulate theological critique of Christianity that you don't ever hear about because all you ever hear about are terrorists or Osama bin Laden or whatever. You don't, you don't hear about the intellectual history of that religion or of that region. And it was just interesting hearing how so many people can have different views, not only on the same topic, which is religion, but have extremely nuanced intellectual views and still disagree. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think it was when I would really realize that, you know, a lot of philosophy is not so much about, right you know, here's an argument and this is the correct conclusion. It's more about learning how to think clearly and critically because a lot of different people can have very persuasive arguments that contradict each other and you still have to be able to cipher through that, you know, um, but yeah, I used to love that show, and and I'm sure most uh, black teenagers <laughs> are not watching John Ackerman <laughs> <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. Like, damn, because and and yeah. you know something is so dope about you, bro. Um, that I think your brain is all the cog in your mind, and your intellectual cog is always. I feel like your type of person, even when you sleep, your intellectual cog is moving. Is that is that right to say? Uh, for better or worse, that's probably true. <laughs> Has its downside. <laughs> dude, I would literally get up at two or three. Dude, I would literally, I think I was eight, two thousand. Yeah, right around. This is so funny. Have you seen the Zeitgeist? Yeah. Oh, the documentary? Yes, the both of them. I've yeah, seen yeah. both. There's, there's, there's two different ones, and there's one that's the better, you know, one that's the first one, and then one that kind of uh, rounds the edges, so to speak. Um, so the funny thing is, right in 2008, uh, like you said, you, you'll be turning 30 and, um, and, and you said in uh, January? Yeah. Okay. Um, the funny thing is, so we graduated right around the same time. And, and the funny thing is, I, I joke and I say this to people, um, when we graduated high school in 2008, they, we graduated, right? And they said, hey, this is a, it's a, the worst recession in the history of mankind. Go out into the world and make something of yourself. I literally, as I was crossing the stage in 2018, the recession was in full kick. And so fundamentally, I think a lot of folks who are in their late 20s and and, into mid to early 30s um, who experienced that recession and as they went into the workforce or even went into college had um, even almost a crisis of conscience. Like, what really am I going to school for a degree and putting myself into this work market? And so um, where, you know, everything is crashing among us and, and around us and falling apart and people are losing jobs and people are so stressed out. And then in, and in the year 2020, as we get into this early part of, of um, you know, of our, of the, you know, most people would say building families, building that home, that traditional Americana, so to speak. And I think a lot of our mm-hmm. generation is radically redefining our happiness in terms of what truly makes us happy. Is it material things? Is it having that white picket fence, so to speak, that 2.5 family, that nice car, nice home? I think we are radically redefining what happiness 
is and living our lives, whether that's through podcasting or YouTubing or living in container homes off the grid. And um, we're radically um, challenging the way that we were socialized over the first portion of our life through the generation before us and um, and how that places us in that place. And that kind of ties to, you know, that zeitgeist. And if people haven't seen the movie, the zeitgeist, I think it's very apropos for today. And for me, that debt slavery that uh, that we all get that can get into, whether that's through school, college or just um, just trying to live up to other people's picture of what happiness is. And so I love the fact that you talked about you, you, you're alluding to that and you're getting to that point. And um, where do you think we stand our generation in 2020 in terms of uh, the next 20 years? I think it's radically going to be important the next five to 10 years of our generation, what we do and how we truly put our foot down. And there's so much social upheaval going on now and so much, um, you know, civil rights things that are going on. What do you think, your point of view? Where where are we heading to, man? I just don't know. I'm kind of like, I feel almost lost in the wilderness in a way, but at the same time, I'm more, I feel like my point, my worldview, my political uh, worldview is more uh, radical than ever before. And, um, Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on that? I mean, I completely agree. I, so I think uh, going back a little bit to what you were saying about, you know, kind of the time in which we graduated and we were basically being told, you know, go out to the world, figure it out. Being a time that also was defined as the worst recession, you know, since the Great Depression. And now we've <laughs> had to happen again. Mm-hmm. But you know, in that time, and then also seeing things like Occupy Wall Street spring up, and uh, it's crazy how many of us, I think, had a very kind of a dreamlike idea of what the world is supposed to be like for us, Uh, especially when you have this idea that every generation is supposed to be doing better than the previous one. You know, a lot of people let's say they grew up in in a relatively suburban area in their mind, they're supposed to get a McMansion. I mean, it's just a natural progression of things or something. And, you know, for so many people to step into that world in a time when, you know, the recession was happening, you now had to go to school and get uh, debt and come out with small prospects of work. I mean, I remember one thing that um, at the time I didn't understand, but I understand now is that when I went to college and took on debt, uh, you know, the interest rates were, you know, relatively high compared to the fact that in 2008, 2009, uh, the Fed had reduced rates to zero, effectively zero. And so this was technically the best time after the recession to borrow. And yet student loans were still, you know, charging people uh, ridiculous rates. And these people were then going to come out and find work if they could find work that barely paid anything. Mm-hmm. And that these people were supposed to, you know, continue to consume and prop up the market, but they barely have enough money to do so. And they have their loans and people can't get a house, which is another market that they wanted to prop up after the 2008, you know, and so all these factors all kind of come together and I think really define our overall generational consciousness. I think most people feel like, as millennials or whatever generation you want to identify with, our experience of the economy has always been shit, you know, for better or worse. And so a lot of us 
want to find some sort of fulfillment in our lives outside of just the economy or our jobs. And I think a lot of people have become more politically conscious or they become more creative or whatever other way they can figure that out outside of just finding a career or a career path. And, you know, for me, uh, like I said, I initially wanted to study philosophy. Um, well, I did study philosophy, but I initially wanted to actually pursue that grad school and all that kind of idealistic uh, career path. But mm-hmm. reality wouldn't allow that for me. It was just like, that's going to require more debt. Debt sucks. Uh, there's no guarantee of a job. Mm-hmm. And so my whole self-construct had to change. And instead, I was like, well, I'm going to have to find something practical to do. And I basically did a complete 180 of my life and went from being very interested in you know, philosophy and abstract stuff like that to being very, very interested in economics because mm-hmm. it was so shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was changing the way I saw the world so much that I felt like I need to understand what exactly is it, what exactly is it that I'm, doing wrong or am, am I doing something wrong? You know, what is it that the rich know that I don't, you know, that was kind of the way I was looking at it. And I think, uh, uh, Marx, Karl Marx had, has a quote, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something is the effect of life is not determined by consciousness, but consciousness is determined by life. Hmm. And I think, I think in the same way that for me, my personal life or my personal consciousness changed in response to the, the circumstances of my life and this economy and this world that we live in. Mm-hmm. I think the same is true for our generation. I think a lot of people have become more politically radicalized, more aware, not just politically, but I think even internally, even the kind of conversations we have about self-care and wellness and mm-hmm. well-being and all this stuff, I just feel like all this stuff has been forced because of the kind of society we now find ourselves in. And I think the more that we see like upheaval and um, unrest and all this stuff on the news, the more it's radicalizing more people and the younger generation who even compared to millennials, they're ready to burn shit down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, at a moment's notice. And in 20 years, uh, it's hard to tell where the direction of that is going to be, but I I think that process is going to continue because, you know, we have a lot of people who maybe are our age and since the last recession, things have kind of recovered for us. All of that's been undone in the last nine months because of the pandemic. and All of it, period. You have another generation that basically has experienced what we have again, and we're not even that old yet. And on top of it, they didn't even get to graduate high school or they're not, they're not even in classes or seeing each other. And it's probably much more traumatic for them because for them, this is their first kind of world crisis. And for us, this is like the third. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're kind of desensitized at this point and they're ready to just, say no to it all you know why do we have to live in this kind of world and i think that's the kind of thinking that that's making people way more radicalized i think in 20 years 
I'm and to some degree I'm hopeful, but I think in 20 years we're going to see a much more uh, I want to say left oriented uh, populace. I think right now we have this, for example, the election we have this kind of fight between the middle mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party and 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 you know, the, the Republican party. And I think most people in real life are not there mm-hmm. in the political realm. They can debate about it, but everyone else is, is more to the left or, or all right. If you're on that side of the aisle. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone, no matter what side you're on is done with the current political establishment. I Period. think they know it is a fraud. Yeah. They know it's not serving their interests. And, people are ready to, you know, revolt at this point, whether that means politically or literally, but you know, I, so I, I, I don't know. I think the next 20 years is going to be much more radical than the last 20 years. I agree. And, and to, and to kind of tie some more other loose ends, because you, again, you call, covered so many wonderful things. Like you said, we've been through September 11th, the anniversary of September 11th will happen, uh, be happening shortly in the next week or so. And um, I remember being in middle school and that feeling when you saw, when you heard about the towers, that feeling, that that dread and that fear at, in six, I think I was in sixth grade, and that fear that we had as we saw and we watched um, the country that we have, we were socialized and we, we were, we were brought up to believe it was un, in, impenetrable, impenetrable, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, 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 the country that we knew that was the greatest country in the world and, and the way we were, we were taught and to sit there in that class and almost getting ch- chills and goosebumps. Now I remember middle school and I was in awe as I saw those towers fall and I felt like it could happen right in my neighborhood right at my school and I was terrified and we got on and they, they they cut school short and we got mm-hmm. on that bus home and the feeling of almost like um, have you ever been lost have you ever been somewhere with your family and you've been lost and you can't figure out where to go and you kind of mm-hmm. feel like disoriented right I felt like as we were on that school bus we were walking home I remember all of us and we weren't really talking we were just like disoriented and we got home and we sat down and we watched the news for like the next six hours mm-hmm. and uh, we were just in front of the TV for literally the next six hours me my dad and my sister we didn't do anything we just sat in front of the TV and we watched four and five different news channels and um, and they all were talking about the same thing and we were just mesmerized and we were just my dad who at the time who went through so many different things in his childhood as well but he was mesmerized as well and we're just sitting there kind of take me where you were when that happened because and then when I want to get into the radicalization of, of thought from the left and from the right as well and that central part that seems to try to want to kind of steer the ship that doesn't make sense so kind of go take me walk me through your experience um, through that time period as well well I mean you know, as you can, I was in New York at the time, and and both my parents worked in the city. Well, my mom worked in the city. My dad worked around New York, but I spent a lot of time in the city. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, I had a very similar experience. I, I just remember hearing about the news, you know, to begin with, and not really understanding what that meant. Like, what do you mean these towers got hit? Like, you know, you never heard of such a thing, and all of a sudden, you know they're saying that it's collapsing and you know, I, I had no concept of this in my head and this was me in school. And then, you know, by the time I got home and put the news on, I mean, to this day, that's definitely one of the most traumatizing things I've ever seen. Cause not only was it, 
you know, real life. Um, but I just remember thinking, one, I don't know where my parents are. We don't have cell phones. Oh, so yeah. I can't contact them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where. I mean, I, I, I assumed they were okay because I knew they weren't in that part of the city. But still, I didn't know when I was going to see them next. And, uh, and then I, I just remember being so young and seeing, you know, they showed a video of people jumping from the buildings because they didn't want to, you know, die when it collapsed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the first time I have seen someone in real life basically commit suicide, you know, like on TV, on national television. Yeah. News. Like, it was just, it, you know, it, it was crazy. It was just traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And then after that, every single solitary thing on the news was about that and the consequences of that and what we're doing now and then the war and this and that. Everything was defined by that day and all of our foreign policy was defined by that day. And, you know, a lot of the racial or, or ethnic tensions in this country, you know, exploded because of that day. And it was just, it really kind of gave birth to a new kind of global consciousness and, you know, being so young, it was a, it was like a very clear rupture between before that, where everything kind of just seemed like this is just the normal world. And then after that day, everything seemed like a broken world. Yeah. And, you know, it's never really recovered since then. Yeah. You're right. And, and, and something that scared the shit out of me, bro. Remember when we were, when they announced the war in Iraq and they announced that they were sending troops. Remember that night? I think it was right before mm-hmm. school. It was, day. It was like 8 p.m. or something like that. I'm pretty sure they announced, I was watching CBS. I'm pretty sure I was watching CBS and they, and they announced it at night. And, um, and he's like, we are, and then George Bush gave that speech. And um, I felt like my skin, like my hairs on my skin, uh, like go up. And I was absolutely terrified, you know, um, and it was because the war in Iraq was, uh, yeah. And it was like, am I going to have to go to war? Is, 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 you know, are they going to start bringing back right. the, the, are they going to bring back the draft? The, the draft? I was absolutely terrified. And everybody was really worried about that. Everybody was like, man, I mean, they could bring the draft back. Am I old enough? Let me see. Yeah. How do you get out? You know, it's exactly. Like people were really thinking about this stuff. And, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, and you questioned your your patriotism, where some people went very, 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 very Americana, and we're proud to be an American. At least I right. know I'm free. Whereas with me, you know, as a we me, had freedom fries. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Whereas for me, um, I, I definitely became a little patriotic, but I was more more questioning our interference with other countries and their political policies right. and why people had such a response to. America's and in, in, uh, interference in other countries' infrastructures and de and neocolonialism, etc., and 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 um, you know, just you know, just interfering with other people's governments. I'm trying to figure out a really funny way of not funny way, but an interesting way of a more uh, articulate way of talking about how we we de um, what's a good way of saying uh, people's governments kind of just uh, de. Um, I forgot. It's kind of the word escapes me. I have it in my brain, but anyway, just kind of you know, uh, destabilizing other people's countries. 
mm-hmm. and how that behavior of the, over the last 30 to 100 years has been really, we've ramped up and how we have so many army bases in other countries and we have more army bases in countries th- than any country in the world. And it's right. how we do that and why people feel so much anger and vitriol and, and, and towards us. Um, and so I had to really understand my patriotism and how that meant and, and especially being black in America as well. And then we mm-hmm. have Trayvon Martin and then we have, you know, Michael Brown and then we have Sandra Bland and then we have, you know, all these other people. And then that happens in 2000, um, 2000, uh, uh, 2015. And so we're constantly being faced with what is this American dream so to speak what is this what is america how how do we approach that american and how different people have a different american experiences and so it's just so fascinating now we push it to 2020 let's get let's get into the obama time where you know we get our first black president and then uh we think there's real real legitimate change and where obama he was a symbol of true uh, of of wanting to have change, but not really being able to make the change he wanted to make. And I think Obama really, in his heart, I think he wanted to be more radical. But the reality was, there's this center this center democratic experience where there that we never really get to true change because that 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 middle that moderate middle road, you know, corporate Democrat is preventing us from really having that radical democratic party that we really need to have. And I think mm-hmm. now more than ever in 2020, uh, with Bernie Sanders failed campaign, which I think he was, again, he was, it was, it was shown that he was cheated by his own democratic party. Um, he was sold out by them and he was, um, you know, he was grifted, so to speak, um, through emails that we found out that were, you know, they didn't want him to win. They, mm-hmm. and he, and, and, and me going, you know, at, um, in my mid to early twenties, I would go and watch Bernie Sanders debates when he in the nineties, in the in the late nineties and eight uh, late nineties, early two thousands, mm-hmm. where he debated about the war in Iraq passionately for two to three to four hours, till his voice he lost his voice about it. We shouldn't go to the war in Iraq. We shouldn't be doing. And he's and everything he's saying at that time is at the now that we see it now, it makes total sense. Right. And and we're getting to this point. Where we have to either the Democratic Party has to either really uh, redefine itself and and truly be a left, ideally, or are they going to continue to do this Democratic bullshit? This 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 cap this 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 uh this this I'm sorry not this commercial this commercialized Democrat bullshit, and then you know what disappoints me even more. When we're supposed to have a time period with, like you said, with the coronavirus and, and social evil, we pick Joe Biden and we pick Kamala. Senator Kamala Harris. Um, that's our reply to all the bullshit that we're dealing with in the last nine months. We go back. We're aggressive. And then when people like me and you, we try to challenge people. We try to uh, push back and say, we really want to have, we want to hold people accountable. If you're going to get our vote, and if you're going to say you're going to change this and that, we've got Donald Trump for the last uh, four years. We've seen what he's done. But at the same time, we've seen the lack and the lackluster, the putt-putt behavior response that the Democratic Party. We had Andrew Yang. We had um, um, Andrew Yang. We had Bernie Sanders. We had Jill Stein. We had people who were really trying to make um True fundamental change, and the word revolutionary was real. Now I feel like it's 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 almost like a it's a it's it's a it's a shirt. It's something you put on a shirt now. 
You know, right? I'm I'm the resistance hashtag. And, yeah, you know, that's not it. Yeah, tell me yeah. about how you feel, man, about this time period with the Democratic Party, man. And I'm a, I'm an independent voter myself, but um, where, where are you, your thoughts, man? I'm just I'm almost I'm getting heated just thinking about it, bro. I'm I'm ex- I'm exacerbated. I'm frustrated. I'm I, I just I'm, I'm I'm a dude. I'm just hurt. You know? Yeah. Your I, thoughts? I completely no. I, I completely agree, and and I I think uh, I think a big reason why at least you and I are frustrated is because it seems so simple. Yeah. <laughs> right. It seems like, okay, that we are in a very extreme crisis type moment. And you would think that would demand a uh, very bold policy. And, and yet what we're hearing from the democratic party is policy isn't important anymore. Mm-hmm. We only want to talk about the fact that, you know, Biden is the non-Trump candidate. I mean, we've had, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but this, this was a particular Democrat on the news the other day. And he was basically saying, um, you know, we, we don't need to have a policy conversation right now. We need to focus on getting Trump out of office. Which is crazy. And, you know, and it's like, with that kind of mindset, you know, you know off the bat that, it doesn't matter what the actual voters want from that person. Their entire strategy has simply become, this is the official protest vote against Trump. Mm-hmm. Now, if I wanted to do a vote protest, Trump, I would just vote third party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, and then I get to protest both of these bullshit candidates. Exactly. But instead they're saying, no, you need to you know, vote for this official one. And of course this particular one is not only, um, for the most part, center right candidate. I mean, honestly, exactly. You know, uh, the political spectrum Biden is nowhere close to being a leftist, despite the fact you know Trump wants to put this out there constantly. He's part of the radical left. It's literally hilarious because he just doesn't belong anywhere near that part of the spectrum. And then within the liberalism, neoliberalism spectrum, he's still center right. So, you know, the, the whole political rhetoric taking place makes no actual sense. It has no grounding in reality. That said, um, you know, you still have someone who <laughs> claims to be, uh, the, or, or they are claiming that he is going to be the future FDR, and yet he has nothing uh, in his platform that remotely resembles the kind of bold progressive policy that we saw from FDR. Without a question. That's a lie. Yeah. And then, in addition to that, you have someone that, even though it's one issue, it's such a massively important issue, especially right now during the pandemic, you have someone that despite the majority of his own party's voters and most independents and a significant number of people on the right, who want Medicare for all. Yeah. You have someone who has committed multiple times verbally to saying not only is he not personally for it, but even if it went through Congress, he would veto it. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that that tells you. I mean, I think a lot of people, they just, they just oh, well, he's just stubborn or something. That's not how I see it. I, I see it as he's being, he's being very consistent. Because at the end of the day, Biden 
and the Democrats in general, um, with the exception of the more progressive wing of the party, which is growing, but still very small. Mm-hmm. The party in general, as an institution, does not represent the working class. And they know that. They specifically, you know, whenever they do want to talk about class politics, they specifically refer to the middle class. They don't refer to the working class very often, if they do at all. And it's a, it's a dog very, whistle. It's a dog whistle to suburbanites, these fake pseudo lefties and the suburbanites. It's a dog whistle. That's, a, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, it's funny enough, I didn't even notice. I mean, I, I, I often say, you know, we really have two bourgeois parties. They mm-hmm. both represent the exact same political uh, class of people. You know, we have the corporate class, basically. And they're just two flavors or two sides of the same coin. They really don't have a working class party versus a, a you know, a liberal democratic party. We don't have that. We have two iterations of the same kind of party, the Democrats and the Republicans. And we, everyone knows that the Republicans is for the rich and corporations or whatever, because they're not ashamed of that. But the Democrats are, too. They just try to code the language a little bit. Um, you know, they don't want to talk about big business, but they'll still talk about small business. Of course, nobody has a problem with small business. But at the end of the day, they're still referring to the business interests, not working class interests. Mm-hmm. When they say middle class, I mean, everybody thinks they're in the middle class anyway, so it's kind of like a generic term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're really talking about the property middle class, homeowners. You mm-hmm. know, they're not talking about your minimum wage um, working class person who rents and has all those debt. That's not their target audience. They may have some policies they kind of throw at them to say, hey, you know, we'll help you out here if you vote for us. But that is not their principal audience. They do not fight principally for them. And so I'm not surprised then that Biden's going to take the interests of the insurance, uh, health insurance industry over 80% of voters mm-hmm. <laughs> or Democratic voters uh, yeah. who want they, essentially to abolish that industry as, as a middleman and just replace it with something like Medicare for all. I'm not surprised because that's consistent to what he's ultimately beholden to. Oh, um, yeah. And but then in acknowledging that, I have to ask myself a question: Do I want to continue to perpetuate that system of false choices, or do I want to just keep voting from within that system? Because maybe, as they like to argue, you know, it'll be modestly better than the other candidate, even though it's the same system, it's the same ruling class interests that are, are represented by both parties, and. I think last election, a lot of people started to realize that's not a winning strategy. Mm-hmm. But I think they went along with it because they're like, well, Trump does sound like a terrible person, so I guess I'll vote for Hillary. And then you saw, despite her winning the popular vote, she still lost. Oh, yeah. And people realized this really is not a functional democracy. Mm-hmm. Even when you try, even when you are coerced into playing the the game of this two-party lesser evilism, uh, you still can get undermined by anti-democratic systemic institutions like electoral college or superdelegates in the Democratic Party or or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's all of these elements in the system that are codified to specifically fight off progressive forces. 
Exactly. And and we realized that in 2016, and I think in 2020, people thought most people know this, and by now they would have figured it out that you know either the Democratic Party needs to become more progressive, or we're done. And instead, <laughs> they reified their conservatism, for lack of a better word. I mean, we tend to think of conservatism as being a Republican trait, but in many ways, that's just that's not true. That's also true of the Democratic Party. And that's what we've seen in this candidate. And I honestly think this may be the Democratic Party finally shooting itself not in the foot, but in the mouth. Just totally blowing its head up. Um, I think you're going to have people that are still going to vote for Biden, but I think you're going to have a significant amount of people totally abandon the Democratic Party after this election, if they haven't already. And so far, we're seeing that kind of bleed out into um you know, questions about whether a left independent party needs to be built so that by 2024, we don't have this false dichotomy uh, to have to choose from. And so just last week, or was it this week? Or last week? Uh, no, this Sunday, uh, the people uh, movement for people's convention mm-hmm. or people's party convention, I forget the exact term, but there's an organization of a lot of um, ex-Bernie uh, campaign people, people generally on the left, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of political bloggers, commentators, and uh, activists and organizers, and they had a, a convention, online convention, to basically decide by vote whether to establish a progressive third party, uh, major third party is their goal. Uh, in 2021, and 99% of the voters voted yes. <laughs> oh yeah, I w- if I was, uh, I wish I would have. I would. I think you saw me sent me something kind of similar to that. I wasn't really just work. I was kind of you know wasn't always always there. So you know, but I agree. I'm, I'm make it 100. I'm a, I'm actually a Green Party member right now. Um, mm-hmm. so personally, um, so I agree with that. And, and to, to kind of echo a little bit more with what you were saying, um, just a simple, I saw this post and this is, and cause I've been having a lot of Instagram, Facebook debates with people and I, I normally don't stoop that low, but at this point I'm so fucking pissed because the, th- this is the thing when black, when this movement started, we had people, we had the Amish saying Black Lives Matter. They don't even have TV. We have people in other countries, in Korea, Brazil, across the world, people wanted, looking at America and, and saying, you guys have to get your shit together. There needs to be fundamental change, right? Across the board, um, the streets, our children are speaking and yelling out, we have to have change and we want it now, especially this generation who's used to having everything quick and fast in a hurry. And so it doesn't surprise me that 99% had said yes, right? But but this is a post right. I saw on social media and I started and I've been really poking at people at these these Biden supporters. Normally, most of them are about 40 to 50 and they're usually African-American. Um, it's a lot of cultural pressure. If people who listen to this podcast don't know for for for, you know, millennial blacks to be bullied and pushed around and saying we're having temper tantrums by just calling accountability and, and having, cl- uh, you know, clarity in, in the process and legitimate candidates that we truly can believe in. We're being bullied. And so this is what I saw said over the next over the next several months 
black people are going to be bombarded and I want to say people of color in general over the next couple uh, over the next several months black people are going to be bombarded with shaming language and emotional arguments about why they need to vote for Biden slash Harris none of these arguments will touch on policy impact or the records of these candidates did uh, of what these candidates did in the past and it says miss me and I agree 120% but I want you to hear um, how I was attacked um, by some of these so called called uh you know liberal people of color um and this is one specifically that got me a little agitated and i I went back and forth and the typical um you know late 40s uh you know democratic shills who um who just kind of and they probably are low-key hillary clinton voters but i don't know this for sure but their language and way they communicated with me let me know that they were one of those blind leading the blind democratic voters and and annoy the shit out of me but this is exactly what she said Um, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but you can go to my Facebook and see this person said that third party vote is an equivalent to having a a tantrum. It won't benefit anyone. It won't benefit you, anyone who looks like you, your grandparents, Social Security, how we handle this pandemic, the tone of the nation. But saying that the Biden Harris ticket would not have been my first choice, but that. But that's the only nominee who has um, been given a chance beating the current administration. If your vote counts, it's like saying the Democratic nominee bother you more than the current administration. When it falls down and it may hit your doorstep, you just may have to remember that vote. If you're fine with the current administration is doing and what they are done in the past, then do your thing. Just know generations to come, including your children and mine, will feel that unpleasant way feel that in an unpleasant way and so this woman happens to be in her her late uh, 30s i think 30s to 40s and basically was trying to bully me into voting for um biden harris and her argument was very weak first of all saying that basically your vote for not voting for biden harris is mostly voting for trump and the thing is is the numbers is like this if everybody voted third party guess who would win third party Okay, right. period. But this is another thing, my buddy. I love this guy. I want to have. I'm actually want to do an episode with me, you, and him together because I think he's 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 sane enough to and and he, and he he summed it up so articulately, so eloquently. My man Matt McMillan. He said they're going to run out of the lesser of two evils argument for another 40 years and wonder why not a damn thing has changed. They just want a president who acts better in front of the camera, not institutional change. They're so focused on Trump that they forget he's a symptom of the issues, not the cause of them. The issues being around long before this idiot and based on Biden's and Harris record and campaign promises, those issues aren't going anywhere, even if they do win. Elections on a local level are my focus. I have no sympathy for the Democrats because they screw over their supporters every four years and they push the Republicans. They are. Uh, they let the Republicans run over them. Uh, run all over them and push them further right. The two party system is awful and Americans do nothing but take it sitting down. And I proceeded to give him a meme of um, uh, uh, from uh, the, the anchor man. Can I get an amen? Um, <laughs> so I think he, he perfectly says this. And I'm, for me, dude, I'm just going radical now at this point. I will not sit down. And with all that's happened in my lifetime in the last 10 to 15 years, I, I just think the Democratic Party has literally disappointed me in every opportunity. Obama really gave me, helped me to feel hope, but but ultimately it was you know it was empty overall. He tried to do my brother's keeper, yeah. but the 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 Republican I think the house is the house was led by Republicans. Am I correct when he was in? 
Uh, I mean, not not in the first half of his first term. But, but I mean, yeah, at, at, during that time, you're saying, yeah. Yeah, the policy wasn't going to get through. They just weren't going to let Obama get. And they literally said, we're not going to let him do anything. We're just not, yeah. period. And no matter how much the American people would suffer, they were not going to let Obama go. They, they push anything uh, through. And, and even Obama was relatively moderate uh, for a Democrat as well. Um, yeah. And we can get into that later. That conversation is later. So um, I agree with you. We I think the next eight years we're going to be so radically left that in the quality of candidates are going to be so much better i just feel honestly either let trump i hate to say it this personally either let trump go with another four years and really get people radically far left to where we won't have another republican uh, candidate for the next 40 years or we challenge the democratic folks we held we held, we, we hold their feet to the fire this third party growing group of people who want to vote third party and want that real true idealized uh you know democratic party and really answer their constituents honestly and really make change you know at one point in time early in the uh the primaries you know that did you know that um i know you know but you but it was that the the um the something that was on the table was reparations that was on the table several months ago it was on the table. That's crazy to me. It was on the table. Now, um, they asked Kamala Harris about something specific for people of color, and she said, no. And I want you guys to look at the YouTube. She's like, not for just, just black people, no. And just she, she, she gawked at the idea that something specifically for the people that are literally having your ass in the conversation right now. Right. It's crazy. It is crazy. Well, again, I mean... I know it's one issue, but but just because of the the nature of the current crisis with the pandemic, Kamala Harris, at least on paper, says she was actually for uh, in favor of Medicare for all. I think maybe a year ago, like when she first ran, and then imme- almost immediately dropped that position entirely. And I don't know if it's because she figured I'm not going to win, but maybe I'll be someone's VP. Maybe I'll be Biden. I don't know what it was, but. You know, she she had that on the table, then immediately slapped that shit off. Uh, you know, when she was actually in the midst of campaigning, and and now she's, you know, obviously she's not, she's on Team Biden, but I, yeah, I mean, it, it makes less sense to be opposed now than it did a year ago, and they're not even doing that. So I'm not surprised that they're not allowed to do reparations. You already had Biden saying when we when we go in there. We're only going to have limited resources that so don't expect much. Yeah, you know. Meanwhile, they just printed out trillions to prop up the stock market and to, to fund the government and for the corporate bailouts and everything. So, I mean, now I'm not a big fan of modern monetary theory, but I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot of excuses that get used in politics. Well, we can't really do that, but then when they really want to do it, they'll do it. Yeah, you know. We can't afford this policy, but we can afford endless war. Oh, yeah. yeah. Billions and trillions of dollars of war. <laughs> and if we just cut the budget, if we get our fucking foot out of our ass and by being in all these other countries, and that's where I am. And I'm, in some way, I'm more of an isolationist in some ways, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should remove. And, and ultimately, some, some of these more far right, uh, you know, these pseudo like... Uh, um, 
world uh, policy, you know, world, you know, policy guys will say, well, if you move out, then it'll just be a trickling effect. And is America saying you're weak? And then, you know, you're going to embolden other countries. No, when you take your foot out of other people's shit and you let them do what they need to do and let if they want to go to hell, go to hell. Let them do what they need to do. We need to focus on here. I thought personally, the best option we have for America truly changing and, 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 and from, in terms of candidate, I would have Bernie as president and Andrew Yang. Uh, is it Yang, right? It's not Wang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. yeah, it's Yang Wang. ding a bang bang but whatever. But no, Andrew <laughs> No, Andrew Yang, who's awesome. I thought he was, that ticket together would be the most progressive because, uh, and even in the sense of he's talking about automation and how in the next 20 years, 46% of the jobs, the, the low-skilled jobs, were not, are going to be gone. Yeah. You know? Like, literally. And it's a major... Yeah, no, it's a major problem. I mean, it's it's funny because when we talk about automation, we are talking about an accelerated form of what's always been happening, which mm-hmm. is a lot of lower lower skilled jobs or or whatever being replaced by new technologies uh, or being made more efficient by new technologies, and that's always been a threat to labor or mm-hmm. to you know the working class. And naturally, we've always had these regulations spring up to kind of protect, you know, labor against those uh, advancements. But in the end of the day, you know, jobs are always being replaced. And I think the, what makes the automation conversation more urgent is because the pace of that is accelerating. I mean, to the point that, you know, in a couple of years, a lot of trucking jobs might not even exist. And that's yeah. a very, um, I'm not sure how many truckers are unionized, but that's a very, I mean, they get paid pretty well. I mean, it is a very intensive job. They're driving all over the place. They don't get to stay home. Um, you know, relatively speaking, it's, it's paid okay, but that's under threat. Um, you have oh, even just fast food jobs. I mean, I, I, I saw an ad on my phone. I was just scrolling through Instagram. I saw a random ad that was saying, oh, click here to invest in, uh, it was, it was like some machine, it was some robotic company and they had like, it was like burger flippers. Yes. I saw like that on, on Facebook, arm. on Facebook. Yeah. It was like a robotic arm and it just, you know, flipped burgers. And I was like, that's wild. I mean, I mean, not that you didn't see that coming, but just seeing it already in your face and like, you want to invest now? And it's like weird because on the one hand, you know, technolo- technological advancement should be a great, amazing thing for society at large. And usually, you know, in terms of the consumer perspective, automation and and, and technology can make certain processes cheaper and should bring the cost of things down. But from the labor market perspective, I mean, that's threatening a lot of people's livelihoods, even if it is a basic minimum wage job. Mm-hmm. If that's what's touted as, well, that's how you get your start in the market. And, you know, this is how teams gain experience and this is how, you know, whatever. And what are they going to have after that then? I mean, everybody's going to do Uber now. I mean, you know, what's, you know, there's, there's always some threat to the labor market that always brings in new wealth for, for the business class or capitalists. And that contradiction has always existed, but only now has it gotten to the point that it's going to be so accelerated that even the business class is worried about the repercussions? Because you know people are going to try to use 
uh, whatever whatever influence they have on the Democratic Party at this point uh, to try to protect labor and to try to protect their interests. I mean, we've been trying to push $15 an hour for, it feels like forever at this point. Yeah. And it's been so long that $15 an hour doesn't even mean anything. Anymore. Exactly. And we still haven't gotten that. Yeah. Now you combine, let's say we do do that, you combine that with automation, you're going to have a lot of people losing work because businesses will blame it on a higher minimum wage. Oh yeah, and, and you know what will be exacerbated too. I hate to cut you off too, mm-hmm. is that the people, like the engineers. What will happen is this is my thought too. And and we, as we wrap up, we're going to definitely have you on. We'll talk. I want to have a specific uh, one about automation and the future of jobs, because um, I think you've you've added so much value to this podcast in this episode. But just to kind of talk about that just real briefly, um, is that you're going to have very high skilled workers, engineers, computer scientists, etc., doing very well, right? And then you're going to have, um, I think the arts will be really, like p- entertainment and stuff will continue to be important and social media will continue to be important. They'll continue to make money, but you'll have engineers. So really high skilled, very niche type skilled jobs will be there in entertainment and everything else in between. Besides like if you're not a plumber, if you're not a plumber or like, that's why also the argument of, of bringing back trade school is so important because you, you I don't care how many computers and technology you get you still need people to do plumbing you still need AC yeah. people you still need those type of things and the fact that we're in barbers and things of that nature because I'm not going to trust a, a robot to cut my hair I'm just not um, and, and there's a you know what I mean there's a level of skill in those jobs too we need to get back into that as well there's there's a big movement in that as well don't, do you think it'll right. be even more you think the, the golf between um, like you were I think you were getting to that point as well the golf between traditional you regular you know low-skilled jobs is going to be pretty the golf is going to be bigger is what you're saying as well right uh I, yeah i am saying that and, and i'm and what yeah the overall point i'm making is that like you said the golf's going to get bigger because of all these forces but it demands if we're going to actually help people bolder policy to counteract that and so when you're talking about uh, a labor market where more people are going to need education you need to start talking about universal education. Mm-hmm. You can't just, you know, let that slide like it's not a major issue. When you're talking about, oh, well, you know, we need to raise the minimum wage. Well, in an atmosphere where a lot of businesses, they just stop hiring a lot of low, low skill workers because of automation, you're going to have to talk about bringing in new markets for workers, whether that means the Green New Deal, you know, they try to talk about bringing a lot of jobs with that or some other form of you know full employment policy you have to have big bold policy proposals to deal with these things and we're not seeing any of that from the democratic party so it's not surprising that a lot of people feel like this party isn't even paying attention not only to them as voters but to the reality that we're even facing Oh, yeah. They're tone deaf in so many different ways. And so why that's why, folks, third party and establishing a new party is so important. And irregardless of uh, what you hear from, you know, your Hollywood, uh, you know, elites that want you to 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 kind of just tell the line or what you hear from your auntie and uncles who um, aren't going to have to deal with the economy for the next 20 to 40 years. Um, I think we should push people's feet to the fire. We should be more critical. We should be, uh, we should ask more of our politicians who are guaranteed salaries for the rest of their life. Um, and and um, it's time for a radical change. And um, I think uh, 
what you're saying and, and what we're seeing is uh, it's going to definitely play out very interestingly. But I will definitely thank and appreciate you for having you on this podcast. I think you've you've opened a lot of minds and, and a lot of people to think and got a lot of cogs going. Um, where can people find you if you want to share that um, information or, you know, what are some things people should keep in mind when it comes to that? You said you talked about that, uh, that website where everybody got online and they talked about it. What are some things people can look up to see possibly the future of, of, of uh, the left or, or just democratic or, or liberal policy? I mean, I think, I think right now, especially with, with the 2016 and 2020 uh, Bernie campaigns, I think the uh, democratic socialists of America has mm-hmm. just been blowing up as an organization and they've been at it for a long time, actually. But uh, a lot of the conversation is taking place there, especially among younger people. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely recommend people if, if they're left leaning to get involved, uh, to become a member. Um, you know, me personally, I keep a lot of my, my social media stuff relatively private, but yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, that's basically where I'm having that conversation with a lot of people online as well. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and we got to do it, man. It's, it's more than, it's not just enough to have, to shop at Whole Foods and eat fair trade certified foods and, 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 and have reusable bags. We, we got to do more than just performative things. It's policy as well. Yeah. And it's yeah. not, uh, and it's tone deaf to say, just get Trump out of office. What do we do after that? This is the question. So, Thanks so much, guys, for following us as we go down the rabbit hole. And he's definitely going to be a guest back. I would love your guys' feedback. And it's been more than a pleasure to have you on. And um, so, peace.